this technical world we're in, uh, the on-off switch. Uh, well, listen, I've got uh, some things to tell you. First of all, Nate wasn't feeling too well, so he called me last night at 9.15 and asked me to preach the sermon today. Uh, don't, if you're interested why he didn't call me at 9.15 a.m. instead of p.m., that would be a question you'll have to ask Nate. But we, uh, actually, it was fun, and uh, we are studying, uh, in my Bible study, we're enjoying studying God's Word through this pandemic, and uh, I'd say a lot of the focus is around this idea of the chaos we live in, but how we could have calm in the midst of chaos. Now, um, there are some things going on here. I'm excited, and Nate will tell you more about it next week, but I'm excited to tell you the one of the things here at City Light we've done, which just started in September, remember, so it's a very, very new church. And yet the Lord, by His grace, by your kind generosity, and by all of your involvement, we've been able to do a lot of things little churches aren't able to do usually. One of them is we've got partnerships going with a bunch of other churches. So, you know, here locally, we're working with four or five other churches here in Northern Virginia. Downtown, we have three or four churches we've worked with through this um, pandemic. And then there is a church plant that we uh, love that uh, is one of the partners of our same church planting network downtown. This one's called Veritas City. And they have asked us to uh, consider helping them. Their pastor is leaving. So they've asked, and Nate and I have talked about it, we decided I'm going to go down there as the interim pastor for the next few months while they're in the middle of searching for another one. So this is us trying to love God's Word and love God's work all around the area. And so we'll ask you to pray for us as we start to do some work there in Georgetown and Washington, D.C., okay? Now, many of you know I used to be a D.C. policeman. I, that was my career. And uh, one of the things that... Uh, you, you know in doing um, work, all kinds, is that you uh, would like to be really good at it, and you'd like everybody to think really highly of you. One of the biggest problems for policemen is wanting to be successful and wanting to be so proud of themselves or whatever. So I was working in a narcotics unit, which is what I spent most of my career doing, and I was working in undercover capacity. Uh, years ago, and I had been introduced to a guy who was a member of a drug cartel from Mexico. Now, this is a pretty big deal for us. Uh, we didn't see a lot of cartel traffic here in Washington, and so the opportunity to do this deal with this guy was, it was quite a privilege uh, to be able to deal with this guy. That was funny, uh, just so you know. All right, so uh, anyway, so I'm privileged enough to be sitting with this man, and as we're discussing the amounts and how much it's going to cost and what the weights are going to be, we're talking about, and I'm trying to convince him to give me a lower price. Well, in the middle of this, I realize there's a calculator I have in my pocket. I have this little teeny calculator, and I take it out, and I'm thinking, this is going to be great because he'll think like a drug dealer, like only a drug dealer would carry a little calculator. So I take it out, and, and he's, he's working on the calculator trying to figure out. Well, uh, we have guys in a, in a tech room watching the uh, whole deal, and they start calling my phone saying, uh, they texted me, get that calculator back, get that calculator back. Thinking like, calculator's not expensive. I mean, what's the guy going to do? He's going to steal a calculator? I mean, I, I, there's not a problem here. I didn't understand the deal. Finally, I said, hey, hey, can I see that? And on the top of the calculator, it said three initials, D-E-A, the top. It was a D-A calculator that I had with me. It just wasn't ideal to use at that particular time. Make sense? So, so we were able to get through that one without it, but my... Um, reason to tell you that story is really a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning is around this idea of pride and wanting to be 
um, how our pride can get in the way of our uh, serving the Lord or of having calm in the middle of chaos. And for me, pride uh, is always a problem, as it is for you. So let's open to Psalm 131, and let's uh, see this passage together. I'm going to read to you as, as we start. Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters, or in things too difficult for me. Now, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, so it's on the screen as well. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting with his mother. I think that's kind of funny in a room full of kids that are not resting, right? But anyway, like a weaned child resting with his mother. Nice picture. My soul is like a weaned child within me, composed, freed from discontent. O Israel... Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Well, let's take this apart phrase by phrase. We're going to see what God has for us in this passage. Okay, so let's start. He says, my heart is not proud, King David says. Now, if you were reading this in uh, some of the rabbis, the way this is presented in Jewish circles would be, um, my heart is not proud, even though they would add in some of the great reasons David had to be proud. So my heart is not proud, even though I slayed Goliath. Uh, my heart is not proud, even though I uh, was the king of Israel. You follow what I'm saying? So he's trying to say there was a great reason for him to be proud, but King David was saying, no, uh, I'm not proud. Now, as you see this, it also has my proud in my heart and in my eyes. So the uh, Bible talks about a proud look. You know exactly what he's talking about. Guy walks into the room, girl walks into the room. And they just got that look, like they're just a little bit better than everybody else in the room. The other thought, though, the real problem is heart pride, right? Deep down inside. So he's saying, I'm not deep down inside, nor am I on the outside, inside or outside. Well, pride often leads us to guilt. Um, this is, sounds strange, but it, it's, it's really, if, if we are really important, if we are successful, then we should accomplish certain things. And this may happen when you're a little kid, your parents telling you, you know, trying to give you motivation to do better. They may start to tell about what, and you begin to build a list of expectations of accomplishments you ought to have in your life. So uh, if you're a nurse, maybe you think you ought to be head of nursing. If you're in uh, business, maybe you think you ought to be the head of the company. And then when you're not the head of the company, you're not the head nurse, or you're not the best mom, or you're not the whatever, as soon as you see that, your pride thinking that's what you need, actually causes you discomfort. It causes you uh, discouragement. So we've got to consider with our pride, one of the beauties of letting your pride go is you also can let go of those unrealistic expectations that you and I have set up that God didn't give us. And, and we can lower those. So I used to think about, I used to read a lot of biographies of great ministers. When I was young, uh, I had read Charles Spurgeon. Now, Charles Spurgeon was called the Prince of Preachers. He's uh, maybe the best preacher uh, since Paul or something. And he was so good that at 19 years old, he would preach and uh, they would fill the sanctuary in London and then people would gather around the windows and they would listen. He was that good, everybody had to hear. Now, you guys can look, uh, but I don't see anybody at the windows. I'm not seeing anybody at the windows. As a matter of fact, some of you are sleeping. So uh, I'm not Charles Spurgeon, apparently. But if I, in my pride, I say, I've got to be Charles Spurgeon, then I live a defeated and kind of a inside, a little bit of a failure ministry the rest of my life. You follow me? 
In the same way, this is true for all of us. There is great joy, great release in lowering our pride. David is pointing out this. And then he says, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. See, if you're humble, you can't explain everything. One of the worst things pastors do, or one of the worst things we can do as Christians, is that we've got an answer for everything. Oh, let me tell you why human suffering is. Let me tell you why this happens. Let me tell you why that happens. Let me tell you about racism. Let me tell you about the culture. Let me tell you about why this is. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Realize these are big things. In other words, I, I'm good on, we, we have some biblical direction on what happens in suffering and so on, but I'll be honest with you, if one of my grandchildren gets cancer, it's going to be really, really challenged, my thoughts, right? Because if I'm proud, I've got to know the answer to everything, I've got to be able to answer everything, or if I want to take this and even look at the world around us right now and depend on God's word instead of having an answer for every crisis that's going on, the chaos around us, both the pandemic and in our country and around the world, uh, world poverty is increasing for the first time in 30 or 40 years. This is, they're afraid we're going to see a half a billion more people in poverty, desperate poverty, than we've had before. I mean, people are dying as a result. Some say the reports around the world will be more will die from hunger than from COVID. Well, that's a problem, folks. That's a real problem. Someone is suffering right now. How is it that we manage that? Well, if we're proud, we have to solve it. We have to be in charge of it. We have to fix it. As a matter of fact, we would all have answers. Okay, this is what they ought to do, whatever. No, no, no. How about if instead we step back and we say, no, Lord, I'm, I'm not proud. I don't involve myself in things too great. I say to you, oh Lord, what is it you would do? Do you see the difference? Pride causes us this kind of discomfort. And so David is saying he doesn't even involve himself or try to take on things that he can't figure out exactly. Now, living in life, there is uncertainty. That's part of it. It's a great matter. I don't know why. I don't know what to do in that thing, you know? I don't know what there is to do. And the the, um, the joy is this rest that is now talked about. Let me give you the next phrase. He says now, David says, in light of his lack of pride, in light of his humility, he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now, I'm going to give you four things you can do to calm and quiet your soul. And I want you to picture it this way. He's going to give you a picture in a minute of a baby. I want you to give this picture. When you're living life and you are uneasy about things, or you're at extreme calm. You know the difference, right? This probably happens to you at 10 a.m., you're excited, nervous, anxious. At 11 a.m., you're calm. At 2 o'clock, you're back to being nervous, right? We live this way. And so you know that inside. So he's saying, how is it that he calms and quiets his soul as a humble man who relies on God? And here's four things. One, this is really critical that I think you see some great window into how God prepares us. One, we can learn how to moderate our own thoughts. This is a big deal. It isn't just left to the wind how we think. We can calm and quiet our soul. We can learn to moderate our own thoughts. You can't eradicate all thoughts of fear or all thoughts of failure or all negative thinking. You can't do that. But you can moderate them and choose not to fixate on them. Our goal is to break down the thoughts of fear and chaos and reduce them. The idea is to be relatively less frightened in a chaotic world instead of having no fear in a chaotic world. You see the difference? We have calmed, as humble people, we have calmed and quieted ourselves. 
One of the things you learn very quickly as a policeman is you must, in the midst of chaos, remain calm. I don't know about you, but if you ever had a chaos, a chaotic situation, uh, if you ever see the cops on TV and there's a murder scene and people are hurt and people are crying, you don't see the policeman over in the corner weeping and shaking. He'd say, hey, policeman, back over here. We got to do this. Leah's a nurse. She cannot uh, go into a critically ill person and find herself, oh, no, 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 no. She's got to have some answers. She's got to calm, quiet her soul. They'll do it. All of you moms know this. Sometimes the kid will cut his foot and you'll say, holy, that looks terrible. But you can't do that in front of the kid, right? So you calm and quiet your soul. We all understand this. So this is the picture he's giving us. So one, we can learn to moderate our thoughts and get ourselves relatively less frightened instead of eradicating it. Uh, Second one, generous acceptance of the feeling of fear. It's unlikely to live this life without fear and chaos. Pride drives us to ridiculous expectations for ourselves. You can feel, you could actually spend this pandemic and the midst on the TV and all, Do you really believe that human beings that are normal, that are empathetic, that are Christian, that love Jesus, are not extremely bothered by what they see on television? Matter of fact, you're in worse trouble. Maybe your pride's got the best of you. But sometimes the reason it bothers you so much is because you're thinking, I ought to be fixing that. Why is that going on? Our our idea is we have this little, little driving thought that it gives us unrealistic expectations, not just for us, but for others. In our marriages, in our, with our kids, we have this idea. I met with a parent yesterday who was talking about just how far left his kids have gone to where he thought they were going to go right. Well, it's a problem. You love your children, but if you can accept them going left or right, oh, brothers, you can be so much more used by the Lord. You've got to calm and quiet yourself and realize that the expectations you've set up may not be able to be, um, or maybe are not reasonable. Maybe they're based in pride instead of God's word. Reduce the, session, the tension. That's what you're trying to do. Quit being anxious about being anxious. The idea is like uh, if you get a shot and I'm tense and I'm tense, uh, it's going to be harder. Get the shot's going to hurt. You got to loosen up. You got to calm down a second in order to get the shot. You know this raising kids. You know this with your families. There is no question that we understand this idea. Reduce the tension. Third thing you're going to do is ask yourself questions about your worries in the midst of the chaos. So you say this to yourself. You say, I'm watching something that bothers me on TV. Since I'm humble and not in control of all of life in the universe, why do I think I've got to control that? Um, If Missy here is worried about Michael, her little one, growing up, and she is worried, she's laying in bed, she's troubled about the fact that he could get sick later in life. The question she's got to ask herself is, she could reduce that worry by saying, why do I think I've got to control the health, or maybe uh, one of the worst things for for moms, get to a place and the kid acts wrong in a restaurant, and then you're mortified? Because somehow you got in your mind that in your pride, your kids will never behave that way. We all thought that before we had kids, by the way. I was a total expert on raising children until I had children. Uh, I was a total expert on raising teenagers. I was even a youth pastor until my children became teenagers. Uh, You understand? It humbles you. We need to get this thing. Ask yourself questions. What, does that sound like something God would have to do? See, in our humility, we can leave it. We can leave it. I'm not expected to. You understand, you may have these expectations for yourself, 
God doesn't, and neither do we. But we bring this to us, and it causes us great things. So if we want to calm and quiet our soul, we're going to, A, we're going to learn to moderate our own thoughts. Two, we're going to accept that we're going to have a feeling of fear now. And then three, we're going to ask ourselves questions about our worries. And then four, <clears throat> we're going to accept the uncertainties of life. We're going to accept that there are uncertainties of life. See, a humble person realizes, I'm dependent on God. There's, there's no way that I'm going to be able to solve everything going on. There's great comfort in this idea. Often you'll be upset about something that might happen. You, it's as though we live in mourning of something in advance of it happening. So, you know, I'm uh, worried that my child will be hurt, or I'm worried that my job I'll get fired, or whatever. And so all the time between now and when I actually get fired, I've been mourning. In fact, maybe it never happens, and I've wasted all this time. And so I, David is saying to us, no, in light of God's greatness, my humility, how about we calm and quiet our souls with this wonderful thought? Let's accept the uncertainties of life. You understand, nobody here controls those things. None of us. None of us control anything. We talk about the lack of control in a pandemic, and really what I want to say to you is you're used to living this way. Somehow or another, you've lived with the idea that you could get cancer. You've lived with the idea that you could be a victim of crime. You've lived with the idea that you could wreck a car, right? We live with these uncertainties. There's no guarantees. We don't control them, and yet we live with them. But sometimes something will come on, and we will say, oh, we've got to control that. That's our pride saying, I've got to control that. I've got to own that. And the idea, the freedom that can be to say instead of, that's a terrible thought. I'm a terrible human being. You say, maybe I could, what do we say before, moderate these thoughts. Maybe I could uh, think maybe this maybe isn't the healthiest thought I could think and start to put scripture in mind instead. God is great. Dale's not great. What a wonderful thing, though. See, in this culture, we, are, we embrace people who say how wonderful they are. Understand, that is opposite of Christianity. Uh, one of my, I love baseball, and one of the greatest baseball players ever lived was Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson uh, stole bases uh, more than anybody's ever stolen bases, 1,400 bases in his career. Guy was an unbelievable athlete, unbelievable. I love Ricky Henderson until one moment when he actually stole the the, the base that broke the record, he held it up, and they said to him, Ricky, what do you have to say? And Ricky said, I'm the greatest of all time. Ricky was cool till then, and the reason that matters is because it wasn't even true. He's not the greatest of all time. Matter of fact, he's 61 now. He couldn't run a base for anything. Apparently, there's a limit to his greatness, right? It, it, all of us, God can honor us and allow us to steal base or whatever, but this idea of calm and, and a lack of a need to be the best in the room, the only mom on the block who has perfect children who come to Jesus and do everything, read their Bibles and do it, or whatever your deal is, they're going to be the best academics, whatever that is, all that pressure is pride. And so the next picture we get from, from David is, he says, like a weaned child resting with his mother. I think this is a picture of a humble Christian. I can't, nor do I think I'm going to control my circumstances since I'm a humble person. See, I can't control that. I don't, I'm humble. I know that I can't control that. I don't put that pressure on me. The humble believer can rest in the arms of the Savior. The weaned child idea. 
um, we have babies in the room here. My daughter, my youngest daughter is back there with little Graham. And, and, and little Graham is sleeping. Just wave. Is he sleeping? Yeah, good. So that's a good thing. We want to sleep, right? But when the baby is sleeping, it would represent calm, right? Calm. Right now. Right this second. We're looking at. But, but he is saying, he's painting a picture that once the child is fed, once the, the child is, the child rests. You know the difference, right? I kind of picture this this way. I picture that you kind of live your life this way. I don't know about you, but one of the hard... I have 10 grandchildren now, and they're always in my house, which is wonderful, except when they all start crying. And then it isn't wonderful. I want to know why they can't find another house to go to. They, they have a, a... Patty and I ended up... We have our two youngest grandkids, our babies, and uh, we ended up... Uh, my kids always say that I'm not the best with babies, so somehow or another, we ended up with two babies and only two humans. That's us. Two, it wasn't even, you know what I mean? So two of them, two of us, that is unfair odds. So, so, so we were there with the two babies, and one starts crying, and one starts crying, and I'm trying to figure out what to do. That feeling of lack of control, you know that feeling when they cry in a, in a place, you don't know, on a plane or something? That nerve, I think that's the picture God is painting, that we can live as prideful human beings. We kind of live with either a crying baby in, inside or a calm inside. I, I can't describe it better than the way that David and the Lord has him explain this to. This is very, very important to picture what the Lord is trying to picture. He's not saying slapping you down in the midst of your problems. No. He's talking about teaching you the same way Nikki just got Graham to sleep. The same way. It's a calming. This is the love of Jesus. See, Jesus, I don't know if you picture this, but because the baby is weaned and rested... It doesn't mean he dropped the baby. Baby's done eating, done. Walk away. Have you ever seen? No, that isn't the picture he's painting at all, is it? If he paints this picture of a weaned child, he is saying resting in the arms of the Savior. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of chaos, even when you get calm, when you realize you can't make yourself the best employee, you can't make yourself the best uh, witnesser, you can't make yourself the best Bible reader, you're not all those things. When you realize that, you have to understand you're still in the arms of this Savior. It's just you're calm enough now to enjoy Him. Fair? This is the beauty of the humility that He is painting here, resting with His mother. This is what He did with you, if you know Him. How about composed and free from discontent? This is from the Amplified, just another idea. What a beautiful picture of the Christian life. The humble person, look, brothers and sisters, we live in a world where you got to achieve. You got to achieve. I used to do youth group, and, and it was hilarious the way a kid, eighth grade on, has to declare what college they're going to go to and what their great thing is. If you walk up to a senior in high school in this area and he doesn't tell you that he's going to be a microbiologist, something or other, 18 degrees and all, then he's pretty much considered a failure, or at least he feels that way. A lot of pressure here, right? A lot of pressure. Oh, what does your husband do for a living? Uh, or. Well, you understand, we, 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 we are all guilty of this, but the humble one can be composed and free from discontent. You no longer have to be the boss over everything. You can be free of discontent because I'm so humble. I'm so great. I'm in the resting arms of Jesus. Why am I discontent? Why am I not happy with my kid being two? I need them out of diapers. I need them to change. Stop. Stop. Compose yourself. Bring calm in the midst of it. 
I'm not suggesting that any one of these problems aren't serious. They are. I'm just suggesting to you that we want to get God's perspective and rely on Him instead of ourselves. We can find this composed and free from discontent. It's a beautiful way to live this life. Humble, grateful, free from discontent. I don't have to, if I'm in England, I don't have to think that I need to get to Milan, Italy. Follow what I'm saying? Enjoy England. Brothers and sisters, you live in places that are the world's envy for all of the history of humanity, for all the problems you have. You actually live in just absolute, but we don't stop and enjoy and think of the humility. God is in control of the rest. I am blessed to be here, and I'm composed, and I'm freed from discontent. I had this uh, missionary friend, uh, Manny, and he had grown up very, very poor, and uh, I had him come here. He was a pastor. I had him come here. And uh, it was so funny picking him up. He'd never been in the States before. He arrived in the airport. And when he arrived in the airport, by the time he got his bag to come to me, he was absolutely delighted. He was ready to go home. He had seen so much. The, 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 the airport delighted Manny. He said, Dale, they have all these people, and they have these machines, and they have all these things going, oh, I can't believe the stores and everything. Wait a second. Maybe Manny is smarter than the rest of us. You and I see an airport as... Hectic, busy, rushed, not having the right things. Why aren't why are we waiting in this line? You see the difference? This composed, freed from discontent, the Lord has me in an airport line right now. You ever think about this? This is the beauty of a humble, peaceful life in Jesus. Let me make one thing clear, though. This is not just a blanket thing for every human on the planet. It's not true. In order to receive these blessings from God, you must know him. You must stop at some point, as Jesus said over and over and over again, repent, turn from your old way of life, and turn to me. Believe in Christ. So we must see that, of course, as first, that we must get forgiveness of sins. That's the ultimate pride, the ultimate release of pride, is that you must come to him as Savior. You can't save yourself, you've got to look to him. No church can do it, no good works can do it. It is a dependency on him alone. That is the ultimate in humility. Well, here's the thought I wanted to end with. The last verse here is hope in the Lord, David says. At the end of this, you're composed, you're quiet, you're not proud. Now, last thing. Let me just give you this before you go home. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord, he says, both now and forever. Wait a minute. We like to talk about maybe forever. Someday there won't be a pandemic. Someday we're going to be in heaven. Someday this is better. All those things are great biblically sound to believe and we should be thinking of eternity but brothers and sisters don't miss this either we as believers can have hope in now yes hope in chaos absolutely absolutely can you have hope in pandemic can you have hope when your child is sick can you have, absolutely you can the book is full of stories and the world is full of stories of how christians people who love and know jesus the way he has helped them and given them hope to endure the now and the forever all right, let's pray together. As you with your eyes closed, I want you to know that he is holding you now. As a weaned child, calm, quiet, composed, freed from discontent. Your eyes are not haughty. Your heart is not proud. So now, hope in the Lord. Can't do it yourself anyway. Hope in the Lord now, today. And hope in him forever. Forever we're going to be with Jesus. Calm and quiet will describe us. 
the mercy and the wonder of God. Lord Jesus, hear us now, Lord, and may our hearts mimic what your word is saying here so that we actually get to live out this wonderful word. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.